0: I'll talk about the money side of it, but I couldn't help when when
1: you, when you I, I never knew Peter worked for Henry Hyde, but uh, I hope some of y'all knew Henry. When I came in 2000, uh, he was like a hero, and and we we control the House and the Senate. Henry used to always say, and we had our conferences. He'd say, "Now we we beat the Democrats. Let's let's go fight the real enemy. That's the United States Senate." <laughs> and he also say is what Henry said he said you know there's not much difference between the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate not much difference at all because they each have about 100 really stupid people (laughs) in it." that's what Henry said with all (laughs) due respect
2: (laughs) I didn't say that but
1: talking about the IRS uh, you know chair of the subcommittee that oversees and funds them it's pretty interesting they 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 get about 10 billion dollars a year, anywhere from 10 to 12, they always want about another 2 billion no matter what. But when I took over four years ago uh, it was right in the middle of the, the scandal that Peter's been working on uh, that everybody read about, the, the, the 501c4 situation where Lois Lerner and her crowd would take uh, an application from a conservative group and set it over on the side and then you go go ahead and prove all the other uh, applications from the folks that were on the other side. But they sent a guy in to see me the first time, His name was Danny Werfel, and he was, gonna, he was there to kind of clean up the mess. He came before our subcommittee, and I said, Mr. Werfel, I said, don't you believe that the IRS has betrayed the trust of the American people? And he, and he said, yes, the poor little guy was, was just nervous, he was sweating, he was shaking, His press was all there. But it, he was there for about a year, and then he left. He didn't quite clean the mess up. But now we've got a situation that this year, for instance, uh, they will collect your taxes, but
2: they'll also pay about $19 billion of fraudulent claims under the Earned Income
1: Tax Credit program. They'll also pay about $9 billion of fraudulent identity theft. So they're really not that good at doing what they're supposed to do. Now they will collect about $3.5 trillion, which is more than they've ever collected before. But they've received less appropriations than they've ever received before. Because when I took over four years ago, we began to cut their appropriations because frankly they're wasting taxpayers' dollars. And every year you they'd come in and say, Well, you know, we're still we spent fifty million dollars on some conferences and we'd make some really cute videos. And we said, Well, we ought not to do that anymore. And they say, Well, we just paid thirty eight million dollars in bonuses to some folks that actually had delinquent tax bills and we said we don't think you ought to do that anymore but they say we need more money because we can only answer we can only answer 37% of the phone calls that come in. And I said, you know, you're like the phone calls is like the front door. I mean that's the one thing I said I asked Mr. Coskin and the new guy I said since you always say you need more money why don't you spend some of the money you spent on conferences or you spent paying boats why don't you spend that money on answering the telephone? No, you just can't do that. It's, it's the kind of classic Washington mentality. We know how funny you—you got to make it really painful for all the people. You turn out the lights in the Washington Monument. You got to close all the national parks. You can't answer the phone. The IRS can't answer the phone. Yeah, they can do a lot of other things, but they can't answer the phone. So last year, in an abundance of benevolence, I guess, they got 290 million dollars specifically for customer service and cybersecurity and now you'll be happy to know that this year so far they're up to 47 percent of the telephone calls they're answering almost half of all the phone calls with that extra 290 million dollars but their budget's been cut over the years and and i think that's appropriate you'll hear them say we don't have enough money to do things they'll transfer money to do what they want to do with for instance obamacare but We're just trying to say to them, like any other federal agency, we're not going to give you any more of the hard-earned taxpayers' dollars until you show us you can spend it correctly. And I think it's having an impact. So that's kind of the big picture. This year they asked for $2 billion more. They'll get, in my bill that will come out probably in the next two or three weeks, a little less than $11 billion. They're being funded at about 2008 levels which I think, frankly, is appropriate. The the most money they ever got was the worst year they ever had collecting revenues. That was 2010 when the Democrats controlled this place. They actually gave the IRS more money than they asked for. And that was the lowest tax collection in the last six years. So something other than money impacts tax collections, as you would expect. Last year, with less money, they collected more, partly because they actually raised taxes, and actually the. Economy was improving, those kind of things. They will tell you, give me an extra dollar, and I'll give you six back. And I said, I don't really believe that. I used to chair a ledge branch, and if you talk to the government accountability office, they say, give us an extra for every dollar you give us, we'll give you back sixty dollars. And I said, Well, why don't I give you three hundred billion? Then that'll raise eighteen trillion and we can pay off the national debt. Because <laughs> it doesn't work that way. They'll tell you we did some studies that would indicate an IRS would talk to you about this and that. But those are just some thoughts about the funding. We're trying to get them, you know, they. we're, we're putting in our appropriations bill some policy-type issues to get them back on track. Uh, and, yes, they can do a better job, and they actually are doing a little better, maybe in terms of finding voter fraud, but they're not in the real world yet. They're still antiquated, and that's what Peter's working on. So, Peter,
0: tell them a little bit what you're doing. So, thanks, Andrew. And I think what's interesting is the relationship that Andrew and I have in, in terms of our two functions, um, we're highly coordinated. I mean we really are passing the puck back and forth and trying to trying to work well together. So he'll give me suggestions on areas to pursue and similarly we're back and forth and I think it's a it's a model that, that can be replicated in other areas. So let me just tell you a quick story. There's this couple, Mr. and Mrs. Sowers, and they're dairy farmers here in the uh, here in uh, in the Maryland area. And they've been They've been in the dairy business for 30, 40 years, something like that. And they got into one of those weekend deals where they would go out and get into uh, you know, a farmer's market business. That's a little bit of a cash operation. So Mr. and Mrs. Sowers are out and selling their stuff. And they're good at this. And so they were making some cash. And I don't know what they're selling, cottage cheese or sour cream or whatever. And um, then they would go to the bank the next next week. And they would walk in with cash to the bank. And the bank teller said, hey, you know what? If you come in here with more than $10,000, it's a big hassle for us, the bank, because we've got to fill out all these reports. Would you mind not coming in with 10 grand and just you know, kind of come in with lesser amounts so it doesn't trigger this, this hassle of a reporting requirement? Mr. and Mrs. Sowers, nicest couple ever, said, sure, yeah, we're happy to do that. Well, the IRS, through some sort of modus, you know, some sort of operation, starts getting wind of this. The IRS concludes that the Sowers are doing something outrageous. And so without any notice, no phone call, no knock on the door, no talking to a lawyer, no talking to an accountant, the Sowers find that their assets are seized by the IRS. Like that. They go into the bank and they say, oh, we're here to make a deposit. And the bank says, no, 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 your account's closed. Our account's closed. Who closed our account? The IRS. Now, you can imagine the ripple effect of this. You're dealing with your vendors. You're dealing with suppliers. Hey, you know what? i got to work something out. What's the problem? Well, the problem is the IRS has seized all of my assets. <laughs> now, you can understand how this It's called structuring. And the, the, the sellers were accused of structuring their accounts so as to avoid this reporting requirement. Now, <clears throat> this makes a certain amount of sense if you're dealing with a meth lab, or a human trafficking operation, or a mafia front group. If this is Mr. White from Breaking Bad, and he's cooking meth, great, go after him, no problem. But this is a husband and wife who have been milking cows for 40 years, and they're selling stuff. And the IRS presumes and seizes their assets and basically shakes them down. So we have a hearing when we, we invite in Commissioner Koskinen, and we invite in Mr. and Mrs. Sowers, and we're about to hear testimony from Mr. and Mrs. Sowers about their story. And Ms. P- P- Commissioner Koskinen is in front of us. And after three attempts, I finally get him to apologize to Mr. and Mrs. Sowers. It was like birthing a calf. Can I tell you this? It was my biggest experience in agriculture ever. And uh, there we are, birthing a calf, getting this apology out. And he actually says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry for what happened. Now... Being sorry, you know, and fifty cents used to get you a cup of coffee. So what we were trying to do now is to get the money back. Get the sour's money back, and there's a number of these other these other situations. And this is not a partisan thing. John Lewis, my ranking member, all the subcommittee members are all up, up to our elbows in this, bipartisan, and we're really working it. So I have a meeting about six weeks ago with Three big shots from the Department of Justice and three big shots from the IRS, and they're coming in. and the The, the purpose of this meeting is for them to go through because they've recognized, hey, this is this, this policy's not cool. If there's an underlying crime, it's okay to pursue this. But if it's not a meth lab, it's not you know not a mafia front group. Then we ought not be pursuing this. And so the IRS changed their policy. Great. But then the question is, okay, you change your policy, but how about the people that that you you took their money? Let's get that money back. I am expecting a meeting that is to last 10 minutes for them to come in and go, Congressman, here's the list of people that we shook down. Here's the, you know, we took down 50 grand from this person, 80 grand from this person, 20 grand from this person, and we restored these people's money. Oh no oh no the meeting didn't go like that an hour and a half later at the end of the meeting I told the three big shots from the IRS and the three big shots from the Department of Justice I said I am more frightened of you than I was when I walked in this room you know why because you are completely out of touch to any notion of justice you're with the Department of Justice and I'm asking you what is happening with money that the commissioner has apologized for. You have changed your policy, and you're telling me that you can't get their money back. And you know why they said they couldn't get their money back? Because the money has been ready for this, dissipated into the federal system. I said, OK, let me, let me get this right. Um, when my constituents have a tax liability, and they spend their money, let's say, and it's been dissipated into the economy, <laughs> what do you do? You take their home and you put them in prison. That's what you do. So this dissipated into the economy. And so I told the other, I, I said, you're Inspector Javert from Les Mis. You're the one that everybody hates. I actually told them they were Inspector Javert. <laughs> so here's my point. You've got an attitude and a disposition that, that um, Remember that line, that line from Animal House, fat drunk and stupid is no way to go through life son. Um, there is a there is a malevolence here and a disposition and an attitude that is just takes your breath away actually. And this this notion, you know, we had a bill that we marked up yesterday in the committee that says you don't get you don't get bonuses or something if you uh, if you've got a you know an outstanding tax liability and you're at the IRS you're an employee. I don't think that's really groundbreaking. You know what I mean? I don't think that's particularly outrageous. But what I'm describing to you is actually a prelude to something, and that is we got to reform this tax code. It is too complicated. It is too difficult. There is uh, it is highly manipulated by the Internal Revenue Service. And it is, I think, a prelude to getting this thing done in 2017. Let me give you one other quick story. When I first became chairman of the subcommittee, I went to the Cincinnati office of the IRS. And I just wanted to go in and talk to those people. And I just went. No press. I didn't take a big entourage. I took one staffer. And in we went. And um, it was what you call a frank discussion. So I've got several hundred employees of the IRS. And I go walking in there. And um, and and we had marked up and had floor time on a bunch of bills the previous week, but we were just kicking the living daylights out of the IRS on the House floor, and you know we were, you know, you know how it goes. (laughs) Uh, And so this guy raises his hand and he asked me a question, and he said, Congressman, I heard everything that you said about the IRS last week on the floor on on your YouTube page, and. he, he said, When is enough enough? You know, when, when do we get a break here? When, when, when can we turn the page? And I said, That's actually a good question and it's a fair question. I said, Here's how this generally works. Part of the charm of the United States, one of the things that really makes us an interesting culture, is we are very quick to forgive. We are. We are like quick. If somebody says, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm you know whatever and they're sorry and they want to change their ways and so forth we let them right back up and that is part of the charm of our culture it's really pretty delightful but i told him the key to being forgiven is to ask for forgiveness and i said your leadership and they're all standing there you know the commissars were in the back of the room (laughs) like this i said your leadership still uses words like alleged when it comes to the targeting of conservative groups it's no it's no allegation that they're guilty as sin. And this notion of not acknowledging it is, is the part that I think is so difficult for people to reconcile. So there's a lot of work to do. And God bless Andrew, because the uh, the appropriators really are in the muscle end of the family. And so when he's able to put these amendments in and he's able to say, hey, that money's not going into that line and it's going in here and so forth, it is really a glorious thing. So um, the, 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 the appropriators, and, and Andrew in particular, have done an incredible job of getting these guys under control. And um, together, I think we're a pretty good team. So can we take easy questions and make us look good? <laughs> this fine couple in Maryland so the the Sowers got their money back there's a there's several of these other cases there's a a fellow who served overseas he was in the US military came back set up a little gun shop in Georgia IRS came down seized nine seized every dime he had they seized nine hundred thousand dollars same thing totally shook him down he gave him 50 grand just to get him off his back just to settle because he was totally strung out and now we're working on getting this money back. But I mean, it is like, it's, it's dental work, basically. It's going in and getting every little thing and, and dealing with all of these cases. And it is remarkable to me the disposition. Instead, they should just say, hey, we blew it, we were wrong, here's the money back, done. Are we good? Let's Everybody walks away and we'd be good. But instead, it's uh, uh, <laughs> one of the guys, one of the IRS guys, who plays to type, by the way. He, 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 he's, 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 he's got his game face on, and um, during this meeting that I just described, he, he can't help himself. And he said, they committed felonies, Congressman. They committed felonies. I said, oh, felonies that the IRS commissioner apologized for pursuing, felonies that um, you know, you've changed your policies over, those kind of felonies? And he's like, <laughs> So we've got some work to do, but we're getting their money back. Good. Christopher, you did such a great job. You either get the first or the last question. I'll
2: take the first question. All right, go. <clears throat> um, how much of uh, an indication that is this uh, sort of government-wide, and how do you change the culture? And is, this a, is this a broader problem that's more government-wide in terms of customer
0: service and you know, being responsive, and, and how do you change that over time?
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you, You know, on the spending side, it's just, it's just classic. I mean, IRS is just one great big bureaucracy. They spend 10 billion dollars, uh, and they're not accountable to anybody as far as they're concerned, as, as Peter talked about. But I'd say that, that's just prevalent. I mean, I oversee and fund about 20 different agencies. You know, and if those of you that are interested in the financial services part, you know that if it's the SEC, the FCC, the FTC, the GSA. The SBA, anything with three letters in it, that comes under my jurisdiction. But you look across the board. Anytime you deal with regulation, they have this power, and and regulators just do what regulators do. They just they just feel a regulation coming on, and and the, the FCC is unbelievable, just unbelievable. But but that in the, in the CFPB, that's something brand new. You remember Dodd Frank. Think about the fact that elections have consequences. The Democrats controlled this place for four years. You got three big pieces of legislation. You got something called the Affordable Care Act. You got something called Dodd-Frank. And you got a trillion dollar stimulus that didn't really work. So we're trying to undo some of that. But you see it across the board. To create an agency called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that's outside the appropriations process. That's not accountable to anybody like every other agency in federal government. It's a check from for, from the Federal Reserve for $600 million every year, been in existence now for five years, has over 1,000 employees, has a building, has an office that costs more to fix up than it did to buy the building, and they're just looking for things to regulate. And we see this. So it's not just the IRS, it's across the board, and one of the things we're working on is to kind of curtail some of that regulatory. Sometimes you can do it through saying, we're not going to give you the money that you need until you can kind of shape up. Peter's working on. Tell him what you're
0: doing, Peter. Well, let me give you one other uh, example of, of of how deep and wide this is. So, um, we our subcommittee oversees Medicare as well. So, we had a hearing where we brought in the, the person who's in charge of fighting fraud at Medicare, and posed a very simple question to him: What's your fraud and erroneous payments rate? What's What's the number? And he said, twelve point seven percent. Now, you marinate in that for for just a second. And you're right at a billion dollars a week that that Medicare acknowledges is either fraudulent or erroneous. Now, just for fun and just to create a sense of wonder, I invited in at the same hearing the person who's in charge of fighting fraud at Medicare. I'm sorry, at Visa, the credit card people. It was just the funnest thing. Posed (laughs) the same question to him What's your fraud rate? And he said, Congressman, on $10 trillion. Dollars worth of transactions that go on the visa system globally, annually, our fraud rate is 0.06%. Now, okay, you, and, 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 and you say to yourself, how is this possible? I'll tell you exactly how it's possible. It's possible because Medicare knows that no matter what happens, the money always shows up. It always shows up. Think about, it's human nature. Look, if we were, if, if you were getting paid no matter what happened, uh, you wouldn't have a tie on. You be, you know, what I mean, it's like, it's like whatever. You wouldn't be shining in your shoes. You would, you know, uh, it'd be a pretty ugly scene over a period of time. And so my, I think it's just human nature. Medicare knows that no matter what happens, the money always shows up and that's on an entitlement program. And think about, this is appropriated money. And this is like lassoing a bull. So um, there is a lot of work here, and I think that there's a model here, in particular, from oversight subcommittees and appropriators working very closely, because we've been able to get some get some substantive work done. But the nature of the challenge is really, really significant. Yes, uh, first of advice, before you sign your tax return tomorrow, go through it line by line. Time. <laughs> no problem.
1: But as I look around the room, there's just a handful of us that were around for the, that worked on the 86 tax bill, and, and we started that with some general agreements on both sides on big principles, and talk about birth and a calf, that was a, a good two-year process. What, in you're talking to your colleagues, what do you see as the general agreement on both sides of the aisle
2: of principles that we can look forward to over, the battle for the next two three They're years. not neg- They're not
0: positive principles, but they're negative principles. So by that I mean there's nobody that's defending the status quo of the tax code, which is really interesting. I mean, there's no voice that's out there that's saying, it's great, leave it alone. There's a general recognition, really on both sides, that the IRS has bid off more than it, it, it can chew. It's not really as if there's great defenders, you know, I mean, really, really going to the mat for the IRS. And then the the nature of inversions is really jarring. And I think it's getting a lot of people's attention. That is, companies are just leaving. So there's not not a, a sense of cohesion right now about positive principles moving forward. In other words, here's the framework. I think the first thing, the threshold question that we need to ask and answer is, what is our definition of growth? We've got to sort out dynamic scoring and static scoring. And we need to come to some general understanding across the aisle about it. Because if every dynamic scoring argument is perceived by the political left as just economic pixie dust, we've got a long, a long way to go. It's not pixie dust. I mean, there's some really thoughtful um, elements behind it. And certainly, static scoring in, in and of itself is very rigid and doesn't reflect the real world. So I would say that is a threshold question. And if we can get to that question, then ultimately you can have a discussion of, uh, about growth. But I think that there's, there's an opportunity for us. The opportunity is to win the growth argument. Because there's a group of people, particularly young people, that are coming out and they're, they're making an assumption. And the assumption is they're being told that the economy is a fixed sum. And that if you're successful, it has to be because you stuck it to somebody else or manipulated somebody. It can't be because you worked hard and so forth. And so we obviously believe in an expanding pie and that, that that's good for everybody. But that is no longer a presumption in the United States. And I think one of the things that we can do as a party is to win the growth argument so that people understand the nature of growth and why it benefits people. Because if it is just a zero-sum game, and that's basically what the president has been saying for the past seven years, that's what Bernie Sanders is saying. It's just those millionaires and billionaires. If you take their money, things will be great. Um, there, there's a subtext that we've got to that we've got to really deal with. Long answer to a short question, but I think that there is plenty, plenty of work to do. Janet.
2: Um, that last question actually brought to mind something. Since the 86 Act, it seems like the government has required the IRS to do things that have nothing at all to do with tax code. You know, the Health Act, the energy, uh, you know, almost all energy policy runs through the tax code now. So you're making the IRS be more than just tax collectors. They're having to be health, you know, policy makers, energy policy makers. Is that part of the debate in your thinking as to what is the problem with the IRS right now?
0: No, I I mean, I I take your point, but your question was, are we thinking as cleverly as you are? No, we're not thinking as cleverly as you are. Um, But I, 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 I take your point. So in other words, there's there's not so much thinking about how do we how to, you know, oh the IRS is overburdened. I mean, we don't really look at them as an overburdened school teacher, for example, that's got to deal with, you know, a lot of complications in the classroom. Instead, I would flip the question and I would say, what 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 is the tax policy that America needs? And do we do we do we use the tax code for social purposes or other policy purposes? We should have sort of an understanding about that. And one person's, you know, manipulation of the tax code, as we know, is another person's, you know, great revelation and fantastic idea. So I, I don't think we'll end up litigating all of that. There's, you know, I feel, for example, very strongly about the charitable deduction, not so much from uh, a making sure nonprofits get money point of view, but making sure that there is a robust civil society. And a buffer between the government and families and individuals and so forth. That's a philosophical thing for me, and I'll and I'll and I'll go to the mat on that. But I think that we need to have uh, just a general understanding of how much how much toying with the tax code is acceptable. Thank you. Nancy.
2: Is there any study going on of the 501c3s? There's that. To me, it seems to me that that, that category of, of organization has exploded beyond any intention of Congress, and that one of the things we have to do in tax reform is either eliminate it or very clearly define who's eligible for
0: Sorry. tax Did exemption. Do you mean the C4s? The the C3s are the charities. C4s are, are sort of the political ones. Um,
2: well, uh, both. I mean the C3s are overused too.
0: So um, when Dave Camp chaired the committee last Congress, he had a hearing on C3s in particular, and it was it was robust. It was all day long, 40 witnesses, and there's been a lot of evaluation at 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 the committee of that question. I. Uh, along with Kevin Brady and um, Warren Hatch, sent a letter out to school endowments that have a billion dollars in endowments and their endowment funds, and and just posed a question, and that was tell me the relate or tell us the relationship between your endowment and the cost of going to school at your institution, and how does this endowment work, and so forth, and the pace of. College education, uh, the, the the expansion or the the rise in cost of college education, just takes your breath away. I mean, just takes your breath away and um and and yet these schools have uh you know a number of them have have obviously you know 60 70 of them have billion dollar plus endowments how does this all work because it's all nested in the tax code that's the foundation for a lot of these things so there's a lot of this that is that is now bubbling to the surface in terms of inquiry yes
2: sir i i just wanted to to make a mention of something that was really a surprise. The president stepped into tax policy last week with a surprise announcement that they want to change the way foreign, it, well, they want to change the way, I mean, they did a complicated thing. They talked about inversions, and then they basically came <coughs> up with a proposal that was very complicated. A lot of people are still studying it. But it would undo about 40 years, or undermine about 40 years of jurisprudence and common law in terms of determining what's debt and what's equity. So I, without getting into a complicated discussion, I'd really ask you that both of you take a look at that and how sweeping it was in terms of what they're proposing as a power grab, because it's really a power grab and a redefinition of kind of longstanding
0: truce, if you will, between taxpayer and authority. And it's having a significant impact on uh, foreign direct investment in the U.S. and and so forth. So I take your point. And it won't be limited to foreign-based companies. It'll mm-hmm. it'll be
2: across the economy to a lot of big companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I,
1: we're hearing already uh, just people in the you know in the business community. And I don't know. Uh, we we all saw what he talks about in terms of versions. But there was that little subject that's going to have a tremendous impact on just. Basic business in our country, and you're exactly right. So, that's something we all got to look into. One last question.
0: Um, sort of talking in a vacuum here, um, say, generic Republican president wins, not any of the three candidates, but you don't get tax reform done. What's your ideal sort of IRS commissioner? Uh, what's their role? As Janet noted, they have a lot of things they're supposed to be doing, there's a lot of complicated things. How How could the IRS work under a Republican correctly? The IRS should be, the IRS commissioner should be like my fourth grade teacher, Miss Anderson. (laughs) Miss Anderson, I had her in her last year of teaching. She was an old maid school teacher. And she was tough, but fair. Don't jerk around. Don't talk when the woman's talking. And life was pretty good, you know what I mean? It was like it was okay. Now, I think that the commissioner and the IRS, it's like, hey, just go out and collect the taxes. And if you've got a problem with the underlying statute, come and tell Congress. Congress will then make a decision about it. But just collect the taxes. No adventures, no initiatives. Just figure out how to make sure that identities are not stolen. Figure out how to make sure that rings of Russian criminals are not ripping us off online, which is absolutely happening right now. Collect the taxes, no adventures, and I think everybody will be happy. Scott has asked for one more five minute time.
2: No, <laughs> no, no, no. Just a simple question. Mr. Crenshaw, I read yesterday you've decided to, to retire. I just wonder if you could reflect and tell us what you're going to do and why you decided now was the time.
1: Well, I can tell you this I sat through a three hour appropriations meeting yesterday, <laughs> and I
2: think my
1: decision was confirmed. <laughs> but I, just, I, I always knew, I think, it, you know, uh, all good things. Have to end sometime, and I always knew I would know when it was time. Uh, and it just seems like a good time. I'm proud of what I've done. I've been a privilege to serve, but it's kind of like turning the page and see what's next. I don't have any plans. I'm not like leaving here to go do something else. I'm just decided this this is something that I'm not going to do anymore. And
2: once you make that decision, uh, it's a very good feeling. <laughs> <laughs>